And now, the Blaze Radio Network presents 40 Acres and a Fool. Here's your host, Cam Edwards. Greetings from the near frontier. Thanks so much for tuning in to another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. Cam Edwards with you. Unfortunately, uh, not at the kitchen table for this episode. We tried. Oh, trust me. Had the uh, setup, had the microphone, had the laptop going. Miss E was there. Do you ever have one of those nights where you have something that you need to get done and the domestic world just conspires against you like all night long? That was last night. Uh, We tried for three hours to uh, record a podcast and it just... It was not happening between the dogs uh, needing and wanting to go out and attention and love and affection and laying underneath our feet going (laughs) as we were trying to record the podcast Uh, to the uh, children in our home. Kids are off of school uh, for a couple of days this week. So even though it was midweek, we had a sleepover at the house. We had uh, so we had four kids in the house. Very loud. Very noisy, uh, and we were smoking bacon. So seriously, we would get we would get into a discussion. We'd be having a really good back and forth, and all of a sudden, Missy's alarm on her phone would go off. We'd have to stop. We'd have to uh, go check on the bacon, which was, by the way, I have to say, uh, fantastic. But uh, it just unfortunately did not work out that we could uh, do a forty acres and a fool from the kitchen table this week. We'll try to get back there next week, uh, but I do appreciate you tuning in regardless. And uh, it has been a a busy week around the uh, the farm. Uh, the weather has finally stopped raining. Oh my gosh! Uh, and I'm not really complaining. Hurricane Joaquin, you know, uh, last week when we were recording, looked like it was getting ready to make a beeline for the East Coast, and it uh, instead veered off into the Atlantic. Uh, we in Virginia did not get nearly the amount of rain that they received down in South Carolina, so. I'm thankful. I'm happy. Uh, and I am happy to see the sunshine. So it's been a, a week of cooler weather. Fall is definitely here. The leaves are starting to turn uh, in the woods by the pasture. Deer season is off and running now. Uh, and uh, we've actually seen uh, a couple of deer uh, late at night, not in a, a spot where I could take a, a good shot at them. But uh, this weekend, I'm hoping to actually spend a little bit of time trying to get uh, a deer there in central Virginia. Last year, you know, the numbers were down uh, in many states and for a variety of reasons, including disease and the predation. So hopefully the numbers are going to be back up uh, this year, not just in the state of Virginia, but around the country as well. I mentioned that we were uh, making bacon. They have uh, the, the, the slabs of bacon. We have about uh, 18 slabs of bacon right now in uh, various stages of curing. Uh, we use actually brining. We use a uh, brown sugar brine uh, for the bacon. And they've been in the brine for about three weeks or so. We usually let it go a little bit longer. But in the past, uh, we've been using American guinea hogs. They're a heritage breed of hogs, uh, a little bit smaller, actually quite a bit smaller than what you would find in like a commercial uh, hog farm. They uh, only run about 200 pounds or so. And they are lard hogs. So they're very, very fatty. They make delicious bacon. I mean, the the fat just melts in your mouth. It's completely unlike bacon that you'd get in the grocery store. But it is really fatty. And so the last hogs that we had processed uh, were our Berkshire Tamworth mixes. Those are leaner hogs there, and they were a lot bigger uh, as well. Um, uh, one of them was uh, over 300 pounds. Uh, and so the the bellies are a lot longer. They are not nearly as fatty. And three weeks, actually, in the brine, i got to say, I, I think that was enough. Uh, we smoked the bacon uh, in the evening, pulled it out around uh, 1030 or so, and it, it's, it's kind of a tradition. You know, you have to taste the bacon. You have to sample the bacon, uh, which means, by the way, that we do not cold smoke our bacon. Uh, when you cold smoke it, you know, it never really gets above what I think it's 140 degrees or so. We we uh, make sure we smoke ours at 100 up up to 155 degrees, uh, and then we pull the bacon out. And while it is still nice and hot, and it's just dripping with the juices and the applewood smoke is just oh, it's just everywhere. Cut off the ends, have a little piece, 
the dogs come running, my kids come running, my uh, 15-year-old was there with his friend last night, and I, I, I swear they could have eaten an entire slab of bacon like right then and there. I had a piece. I said, I, you know, I think I want another small piece. My son asked, can I have five more big pieces? I said, no. No, you cannot. This weekend, breakfast on Saturday. That's when we'll uh, have the bacon again. Uh, but it yeah, turned out delicious. Very excited about it. We may have to have uh, some sort of bacon and book party uh, in Farmville here because uh, it was another exciting moment uh, yesterday. And, and we had talked about it a little bit on the uh, attempted podcast that wasn't. Uh, I got home from work. Actually, during the, the NRA News Camming Company, my uh, wife sends me a text. And it's a picture of... Heavy Lifting, an actual hard copy of Heavy Lifting, the new book from Jim Garrity and myself, which comes out October 26th and is available for pre-order right now at uh, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and other major booksellers. This was a uh, this was a really cool moment, I got to say. Uh, so I got home and actually held the book in my hand for the first time, and uh, it was it was really neat. And so we uh, we had actually talked about that. I think Miss E is going to uh, interview me about uh, heavy lifting here before long, at least before the uh, the book comes out. But we might talk a little bit about uh, the, uh, the the book release. I'm I'm just so excited. We've got the uh, the blurbs on the back, and I've got to thank uh, all of the folks who were kind enough to uh, say nice things about heavy lifting. So we'll talk about that on the program this week. Also get to uh, some of your thoughts. The email address, as always, is 40acrefool at gmail.com, 40acrefool at gmail.com. The garden's starting to slow down. Tomatoes are still going, believe it or not. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked because, you know, back in July and August, the tomato blight had hit us so hard. I figured all of our tomatoes were going to be done by mid-August. Well, here we are. Uh, inching towards mid-October, and we still have several varieties of tomatoes that are actually still uh, kicking off not just flowers but but fruit, and the peppers are going great guns right now. Holy moly, we've got the Hungarian cheese and the habaneros and the jalapenos, and uh, we've got five or six different kinds of uh, peppers. We've got a Tabasco type of uh, pepper. So the... uh, the jars of fermenting peppers are slowly taking over our pantry area. Uh, and we'll just let those ferment for, you can let them go for as, as, as long as you want. We've got a, a jar in there that's been in there for over a year right now. And, uh, and then we'll turn that into hot sauce. I'm thinking hot sauce, copies of heavy lifting, uh, and maybe uh, a half a slab of bacon. Those will be our, our uh, Christmas presents this year. Of course, I shouldn't mention Christmas because we haven't even hit Halloween yet, right? Although I know that the uh, the Christmas decorations will be out before long, but I haven't even picked out a Halloween costume yet. I was talking with the Julie Gunlock of the Independent Women's Forum on NRA News Cam and Company earlier this week, and I said that I'm going to go as uh, Sexy Ambrose Burnside, the uh, president of the National Rifle Association, the first president of the National Rifle Association, former uh, union general. I'd have to shave the beard down a little bit. I'm not really sure how you go with... Sexy Ambrose Burnside, unless it's maybe a go-go boots. I think I think go-go boots added to the uh, Union uniform. That's the way to go. Be very curious to uh, do. Do you? This is one of the things that we do kind of miss actually about um, not living in the suburbs. We uh, Missy loves Halloween, uh, and we'll probably talk about this before Halloween as well. But that's her favorite holiday. She loves to decorate the house. Uh, her birthday's near Halloween, so we would always have sort of a combo Halloween uh, birthday party, and it would be a big blowout and be a big costume affair. Uh, all of our neighbors would come. It was, a, it was a really good time. And when you live in the, I mean, like, we have not had a trick-or-treater in three years. Uh, or I guess this will be our third year without a trick-or-treater. And there's, there, you just don't. You just, the houses are too far apart. People live too far away from one another. You don't. You're not walking and you're not driving from house to house. So, a lot of the churches will do trunk or treats. Uh, the uh, in Farmville, the downtown merchants will open up uh, their doors and they'll have candy, and we'll be doing that on uh, Halloween. 
uh, here at the uh, NRA News Cam and Company Studios. We'll be handing out uh, goodies for the ghouls and the goblins that'll uh, be walking up and down Main Street. And that's kind of a cool event, but it is definitely different from what I grew up with. And it's uh, it's a lot different experience than what my kids had in the suburbs as well. So we do still, it's weird, we do still decorate the house for Halloween, even though we don't have a party. Um, we found a uh, couple of the big inflatables on clearance at uh, a, a big box hardware store. Um, and so we'll pull those out and we'll have, uh, I think we got a big inflatable spider uh, living in our yard, which was, it was funnier until we started seeing like big spiders living in our yard for real. Uh, and then we've got a, a, a inflatable, like an eight foot tall inflatable Grim Reaper. Eight feet tall sounds so tall. But we put it up and we've got a grove of trees in our front yard. And all of a sudden this, you know, what, what to me looked like massive, right? It's it's just kind of a sad little figure in a hood now. So it's not particularly uh, scary. And actually, now that I think about it, where we uh, put the Grim Reaper last year, we now have goats. So I have to find a new home for that because the uh, maybe we could actually have costumes for the goats. What do you think? That that the Internet would love that. All right, listen, we're going to take a, a quick time out. Thank you again for tuning into this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. When we return, I want to talk a little bit about the betters versus the bumpkins. This is a theme every now and then on NRA News Cam and Company, but uh, it is certainly rearing its ugly head in real life these days. So we'll talk about the betters versus the bumpkins right after this quick time out here on 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. New York City administrative judge ruled that Ronald Dillon should be suspended without pay for 30 days for twice talking in a robot voice. What is robot voice? Robot is speaking in a monotone kind of area and talk very like one-sided. Yeah, Domo Arigato, by the way. <laughs> Mr. Robot, I this is the help test. The morning blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. Uh, by the way, I did uh, let Miss E know that uh, her fan base is growing. Uh, I've had uh, uh, several folks ask, so is, is Miss E on Twitter? Uh, no, she's not, and she doesn't really want to be on, on Twitter. She has a, uh, a, a fairly, I don't, I don't want to say a low opinion of uh, uh, social media, but it's wearying, I, I think, for a lot of people. Um, you know, we have friends uh, across the political spectrum. We have friends that are conservative. We have friends that are independent. We have friends that are apathetic. We have a few friends uh, that are liberal. I don't, I, I'll be really honest with you. I mean, I don't think we have any like hardcore, far left, progressive. Uh, friends, Not that I would be opposed to that. I don't think they want to be friends with me, <laughs> to be honest with you. But we do have a pretty broad spectrum of, uh, of friends and family online. And, you know, over the past year, I think even Miss E has, has noted uh, uh, sort of a general trend and just kind of jerky behavior. You know, it just seems like people are at each other's throats and uh, exasperated with each other. The, the political discussions uh, turn into political arguments that are never resolved and nobody's mind changes, but uh, feelings are constantly hurt. Uh, and, you know, Missy's just doesn't really like to be around that a lot of times. So uh, probably no Twitter for Missy, uh, but we will see if we can get her back here before long. Yeah, I mentioned before the break, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the betters versus the the bumpkins, which is something that I talk about on NRA News Cam and Company uh, weekdays live on NRANews.com at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern. Also on Sirius X and Patriot 125 at midnight Eastern, 9 Pacific on Sirius Patriot Plus available uh, on demand. Also uh, on demand at iHeartRadio and on iTunes. I think I've given out most of the 
major places where you can uh, listen to NRA News Cam and Company. But the theme of the betters versus the bumpkins, the uh, the people who live inside the Beltway, who live in uh, San Francisco or Los Angeles, who live in Manhattan, uh, and who want to tell the bumpkins and flyover country uh, what they should think, how they should feel, how they need to behave, uh, what their rights are, what their responsibilities are. Uh, certainly this comes up in the gun control debate. Uh, it comes up uh, a lot. And, and it's, it, you know, it's interesting. Actually, I, I noticed this, um, I guess it was last week. The Pope's visit to the United States, the uh, the, the the progressive left, the uh, uh, MSNBC hosts, and the Nation writers. Oh, they were so happy to see the Pope. I mean, the the the, the Democrats who booed the uh, mention of God at the 2008 Democrat National Convention were just falling all over themselves. They were so happy that Pope Francis was here because he was talking about climate change, uh, and he uh, was talking about. Um, the things that uh, the left wanted him to talk about uh, uh, often. But then, after he left, word broke that uh, the Pope met with Kim Davis. And it would have been laughable if it weren't sad to see the reaction uh, that I saw from a lot of people on the left, again on social media, it was like a switch had been flipped. And they went from praising Pope Francis to, I've lost so much respect for Pope Francis. I cannot believe that he would meet with that woman. What, what, what on earth is he thinking? <laughs> right. I, I, I want nothing to do. It was just a charade. I mean, it was amazing. The Pope, while he was here in the United States, had also gone to a prison as I understand it, and had uh, met with inmates. Now, it seems to me like maybe the Pope meets people that he agrees with, doesn't agree with the, all the time. And as it turns out, the Vatican actually came out, and I don't, I, I'm not getting into the politics here, but they said, ah, you know, it wasn't quite as uh, uh, big a deal. It wasn't like, you know, he, he, Pope Francis gave uh, Kim Davis the formal endorsement or anything like that, uh, kind of downplaying the, uh, the meeting between the Pope and the uh, clerk in Kentucky. Uh, but at that point, it didn't really matter because we had seen the honest reaction from progressives that they were willing to admire somebody as long as they thought that he agreed with them. But the moment they thought he didn't, all of a sudden, no more was he an admirable figure. Nothing had changed about the Pope's character or convictions or position or personality. But as soon as they thought he had taken a position antithetical to theirs. They had no more use for the Pope. They had no more love for the Pope. They had no more appreciation for what he had said in Congress. All of a sudden, it was completely undone because he had met with Kim Davis. I find that to be shockingly stupid. But yet, it is the status quo uh, among a lot of folks on the left. You know, we've been uh, talking over the past uh, week or so on NRA News Cam and Company about the shootings in Roseburg, Oregon, the uh, immediate uh, politicization of the shootings, including by the uh, the president uh, of the United States. Gun control groups were out with press releases in the hours afterwards. Uh, we've seen all kinds of columns and commentary. Uh, New York Daily News writers said uh, that the State Department should declare the NRA a, a terrorist organization. I've, I've seen uh, Twitter hashtags saying defund the NRA, <clears throat> which I don't even get because it doesn't get government funding, but whatever. Um, in lost in all of that uh, is the fact that not everybody in Roseburg, Oregon, who is affected, who is grieving, uh, who has been by their child's bedside, not, not everyone who has been lying in a hospital bed recovering, agrees with the left. And in fact, there have been a number of individuals who've spoken up 
uh, in this small town in Oregon who say, listen, I don't want this to be turned into a, a gun control debate. Uh, or I don't think that a, uh, a, a, a gun control law would have changed things. Uh, I've heard victims say uh, they believe in concealed carry. And I've heard almost no recognition of this by the left. There's been some reports. Um, you know, I think AP had a news report, uh, something like a headline, something like uh, uh, in Oregon town affected by shooting uh, a support for guns still strong. Uh, the Daily Mail from uh, England has uh, done a couple of stories on uh, individuals uh, who are uh, grieving the loss of family members uh, and the uh, families who are facing that long road to recovery, who who say, look, another gun control law isn't going to help. I, the, the stories have been out there, but the uh, lack of recognition for those individuals by most media commentators, certainly by anti-gun politicians, uh, again, has, has really struck me this week that apparently... Um, some folks in the uh, aftermath of a tragedy like this, some folks are worth uh, listening to. Some folks are worth talking to. Some opinions are worth uh, covering broadly, and others are not. I have actually seen, and I, I and maybe I'm wrong about this, but this is the impression that I've gotten just from the the uh, TV that I've consumed, the online media that I've consumed, the radio that I've consumed. I have gotten the impression that over the last uh, week or so, the media has actually had more coverage of the murderer's father uh, who has spoken out in support of more gun control than I've seen from the the, the fathers uh, of some of these victims and the moms of some of these victims or the victims themselves or the family members themselves who don't feel the same way. I, I've I've been struck by the uh, impression that the media is is more interested. Uh, many many media outlets, I should say, are more interested in presenting that uh, anti gun viewpoint, uh, however they can, even if it means turning to the uh, the parent uh, of a murderer, rather than actually continuing to pay attention uh, to the individuals in Roseburg, Oregon, uh, who, who feel a little bit differently than they do in Times Square uh, or in the uh, CNN offices in Atlanta. Now, there is there is one possibility here that um, might explain why we are seeing more of the, the anti-gun voices when we know that there are uh, people, uh, again, right there in that community who don't feel the same way. Uh, that the media don't seem to be paying much attention to. Uh, and it may very well be that these individuals are also uh, not really interested in going on TV and debating gun control. Uh, they've made their statement. They've said, listen, we don't want our family's pain uh, and grief to be used for political ends. And that's it. Right. And they'll stop there. And if that's what these families have done, then no, we're not going to see them on TV. And I absolutely respect their decision. But I, I still say that the media uh, should be aware that uh, there is a uh, certainly a, a, a sizable number of uh, individuals in this town uh, racked by grief, uh, not destroyed by tragedy, but uh, definitely affected by tragedy, who don't. Who've thought about this? They've they've pondered this. They've come to their conclusions, uh, and they don't agree with gun control advocates. They don't agree uh, with the president. Now, listen. That doesn't mean that that fact has to sway anybody. I would just like to see the media recognize that those opinions exist and that they are valid, that they matter. And I haven't really, again, with, with the rare exceptions that I mentioned, 
Uh, I haven't really seen that. And when it comes to the the betters versus the bumpkins, you know, it's it's really not about having a debate or a discussion. The the the, the self professed betters don't really see the need for a debate or a discussion. Uh, they see the need for the bumpkins to uh, shut up and uh, fall in line, in essence. And if you don't, you will uh, fall out of good graces with those betters. It doesn't matter if you are a, a grieving mother or father or if you are a uh, individual facing a, a long road to a physical and uh, perhaps emotional recovery. It doesn't matter if you're the Pope, <laughs> right? If you uh, don't believe what they believe, if you don't have the same feels, if you have come to different conclusions about uh, any issue, that's enough to uh, earn their scorn and lose their sympathy. All right, well, on that cheery note, why don't we go ahead and uh, take a time out. When we come back, we'll talk about something happier. We'll talk about the new book, Heavy Lifting. Grow up, get a job, raise a family, and other manly advice from uh, Jim Garrity and Cam Edwards coming out in just a couple of weeks. Stick around. We have more 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network right after this. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton. Think about where you can actually draw these lines. Now, I know this are people who jump in and they'd say, hold on a second. Well, what about people who are involuntary committed? Right, that's already a law. What about people who are you know, convicted of domestic abuse? I mean, there are laws about these things already. And perhaps those are the sort of very basic, you want to call them common sense gun control laws. Those seem to already be in place. Buck Sexton, weekdays, noon to 2 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. So it's the new book that Katie Pavlich, townhall.com editor and Fox News contributor, says is a hilarious sound advice book that every man should have. It's uh, heavy lifting from Jim Garrity and Cam Edwards. Uh, Heavy lifting, grow up, get a job, start a family and other manly advice. And I am holding in my hand right now. A book that has my name on it, and I didn't write my name on the book. It uh, it came with my name on it. I, I have to tell you that still just for a first for an avid reader like myself, because uh, I've, I've always got a book going that I'm, I'm reading to actually <laughs> hold a book in my hand that has my name on it is it's really just a very cool thing. Um, I mentioned Katie uh, was nice enough to blurb the the uh, the back of the the book jacket. I, I've got to say. Um, Thank you to everyone, actually, who said uh, such nice things. Uh, James Lillix, who I have, uh, I think is one of the funniest guys in America. Uh, and if you have not read his books, including the uh, Gallery of Regrettable Food, uh, you are missing out. Uh, Interior Desecrations, I believe, is another one of his books. He's, 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 James Lillix is just, he's, a, he's an American treasure. And I mean that. He is so funny. Uh, Frank Miniter who uh, we have had on NRA News Cam and Company several times before. He's uh, the author of The Ultimate Man Survival Guide. Uh, Said nice things. Said the uh, thing about being a man that few will tell you, but that comes through like the Rocky theme in heavy lifting, is that being a real man is a hell of a good time. And it is, for the most part. Uh, Jonah Goldberg uh, from National Review, author of Liberal Fascism, one of uh, my favorite political books, of the uh, last 10 years had a, uh, a, a, a kind of funny blurb there. Uh, just what we were waiting for a couple of right wing gun nuts who married above their station. Ask what would Ward Cleaver do? The American family will never be the same. Uh, and uh, Peggy Noonan uh, provides a, uh, a blurb, a uh, Mary Catherine ham from uh, hot air uh, contributed a, a very nice blurb. Uh, and I really appreciate that. You know, we are, I, I am. I don't know why I'm using the royal we. I uh, want to thank Mary Catherine, and you know, my heart just goes out to her. My prayers are with her and her kids, uh, having lost her husband uh, suddenly and unexpectedly just a few weeks ago. 
uh, before that happened, she had uh, contributed um, some very nice comments about uh, heavy lifting to the book. And I cannot thank her enough for that. And Staff Sergeant uh, Clinton Romache, U.S. Army, retired, Medal of Honor recipient, a guy who I have had the opportunity to meet on a couple of occasions who admire, uh, I admire him very, very much, uh, not just for his heroism and his courage on the battlefield, which is uh, I think a story that um, more Americans should know. But I admire Clint as well for what he did when he came back from Afghanistan. Uh, He got a job in the oil fields. He uh, worked, as he told us, for uh, 13 hours a day, six days a week. Uh, Saving his money so he could buy a house. And uh, Clint has his own... Uh, a book I think that he is working on. So I don't want to tell too much of Clint's story, but I got to tell you, he is just a, um, he is an impressive uh, individual. And the more Americans we have, like uh, Clint Romache, the better off we will be. As for his, uh, his actions and the actions of his fellow soldiers, and Clint will tell you every time you start to talk to him about uh, his service in Afghanistan, he always turns it back around to the men that he served with, to the men who didn't make it. Uh, Clint, in uh, October of uh, 2009, uh, we just had the uh, sixth anniversary of this attack not too long ago. Uh, he was at combat, uh, combat outpost Keating in uh, eastern Afghanistan. 300 Taliban attacked the base, and uh, Clint Romache, um, according to the Medal of Honor citation, uh, was there with about uh, 85 U.S. Army soldiers, uh, Afghan National Army, uh, some international troops, uh, this was became uh, known as the Battle of Kamdesh. For hours, the U.S. troops uh, were under fire, small arms fire, mortar fire. The Taliban eventually uh, made it inside combat outpost Keating and started uh, burning it to the ground. Clint... Uh, under heavy fire, uh, scouted out what was going on. He sought reinforcements from a nearby barracks. He led the firefight to uh, to reclaim the uh, ammo depot. Uh, despite being targeted by a Taliban sniper, he was able to, uh, along with a five-man team, counterattack, neutralizing one of the machine gun teams that the Taliban had set up while engaging a second uh, machine gun team. Uh, he was struck by shrapnel from a rocket-propelled grenade, wounded uh, in several places. He still directed air support. Uh, they killed about uh, well, several dozen Taliban. Took out several more Taliban positions himself. Provided suppressive fire to three American soldiers who were wounded. He recovered several American casualties. His actions and the actions of those brave men with him uh, allowed this small contingent of warriors to fight off a much larger force. Over the course of 12 hours, eight American soldiers were killed in that fight. Uh, and as I said, when you speak with Clinton Romache, 
uh, he will always, always uh, bring up the men who are not here. Because that is who Clint Romache is. And that is who these uh, warriors are. Uh, so it has been a, um, again, it's been a real privilege and a, a pleasure to uh, get a chance to, to know Staff Sergeant Clinton Romache uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, he is a remarkable individual. He is a, uh, a good man. Uh, and I am really, really proud. I'm proud of all of the, uh, the folks who, who were nice enough to say nice things about heavy lifting. But uh, I greatly appreciate Clint Romache uh, and what he said. He said, we live in a time where growing up and becoming a real man is laughed at. But the authors of heavy lifting get it. It's not our accomplishments in this life that become our defining moments. It's what we pass on to our children. Being a father means leaving a legacy. And one that goes on long after we're gone. And he's right. This is um, one of the reasons, I think, why, why Jim uh, and myself decided we wanted to write this book. You know, I've got five kids. Jim has two. Uh, and this is, I would say, a, a book uh, that's probably going to appeal more, maybe written more towards uh, a, a, a male's perspective. Because, you know, that's kind of the perspective that both Jim and myself have. Uh, but I am giving my uh, oldest daughter a copy of the book. My youngest daughter will get a copy of the book when she gets older as well. It's it's a little bit of advice. It's a little bit of uh, humor. Uh, everything on um, college doesn't prepare you for the real world to getting your own place, to living with roommates, to video games, to how to drink, uh, how, to, how, to, how to dress for success uh, on a budget level, um, asking her out, getting married, having kids. It is a celebration of adulthood uh, at its heart. And, and why growing up is a good thing. Why getting a job is a good thing. Why starting a family uh, is a good thing. And I've had some folks, uh, uh, even before the book has been released, kind of push back uh, on Twitter a little bit. Uh, we had somebody uh, a few days ago uh, said, well, yeah, that, that, that's great. But, uh, you know, 16% unemployment, there are a lot of people who can't uh, get a job. But I suppose it doesn't really matter. Those people, it doesn't really matter, right? Well, of course that matters. But here's the thing. I, I truly believe, uh, first of all, when uh, unemployment rates for people in their 20s um, are traditionally higher than they are for uh, the overall population, traditionally. Without a doubt, things are worse for millennials now than they were when I was in my 20s. Not as bad as it's ever been. Hopefully, uh, it's not uh, as, as great as it will ever be again either. Um, but here's the thing. There are jobs that are out there, and, and it's been my experience. And it's been the experience that, uh, that I've also seen my kids have um, as they've grown up and they've entered the workforce, my oldest that the most important thing that you can do if you want a job is to not say no. To say, to not have a, a job that is beneath you, right? I can't find a job. Well, what about McDonald's? Well, I don't want to work at McDonald's. Well, you could find a job, but you don't really apparently want to find a job. You want to find a job with all of these additional qualifications that uh, will allow you to accept that job I gotta say I've never had that attitude ever uh, in my life I have done my time working uh, graveyard shifts at Kmart and Hardee's I did my time in the drive-thru at uh, Long John Silver's uh, and and I'm glad that I did because that's what it took uh, to get a paycheck at that point in my life so it's a fun book. It's a it's a celebration 
uh, of adulthood. It is a celebration of dadhood. I don't think you have to be a dad to read it. I don't think you have to be even really an adult to read it. We don't uh, we don't really work blue. But at the same time, like I, I'm not sure my ten year old kids would be interested in this, right? Because they're kids. I don't want them to grow up yet. They can still be kids. But uh, it's a book good for uh, anybody who is actually interested uh, or should be growing up, thinking about getting a job, starting a family. And uh, again, other manly advice in there as well. It's heavy lifting. Jim Garrity and myself uh, comes out October 26th. I'm really excited about it. We will probably be talking about this more. In fact, I'm going to see if we can get uh, Jim on uh, this program here before the uh, book is released. And I believe I'll probably be uh, showing up on uh, Jim's podcast with Mickey White, TJM's The uh, Jim and Mickey Show, before October 26th as well. All right, why don't we take a, uh, a quick time out. When we come back, I want to get to some of your thoughts. The email address, as always, is 40acrefool, 40acrefool at gmail.com. And we will be back with more 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Coming up today on Pat and Stu. Listen, Hillary and I walk Kankle and Kankle. Oh, yeah. Well, Jebby's been known to play the character of Hillary Clinton many times. (laughs) Very accurately. Well, yeah, the Kankles for it, don't you? Do you have the Kankles? Uh, First of all, no, I do not. But I create the acting. You create. Okay. I see. I see. (laughs) That's what I do. Yeah, you pretend to have Kankles. Pat and Stu. Weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards continues on the Blaze Radio Network. Before we move on, actually, uh, from the the topic of growing up, getting a job, starting a family, and other manly advice, I, I I have to talk about this piece of the New York Times. This has been in my my stuff to talk about on NRA News Cam and Company for, well, it came out September 29th for over a week now. And it's just been one of those things that, you know, you, you I'm going to talk about it, and then, like, there's more important stuff to talk about. And so, all right, I'll put this aside. 27 Ways to Be a Modern Man. Uh, Brian Lombardi wrote this piece for the New York Times back again on September 29th. He says, being a modern man today is no different than it was a century ago. It's all about adhering to principles. Sure, fashion, technology, and architecture change over time as do standards of etiquette, not to mention ways of carrying oneself in the public sphere. But the modern man will take the bits from the past that strike him as relevant and blend them with the stuff of today. 27 ways to be a modern man. Um, the one that uh, kind of jumped out at me, I, I think, more than uh, any other one, uh, was the line about uh, number 25. The modern man has no use for a gun. He doesn't own one, and he never will. Followed by, I don't know if this was ironic or not, uh, number 26. The modern man cries. He cries often. Uh huh. So I listen. I am I am completely unsurprised to see the New York Times uh, run a piece that says, "Well, the modern man will never own a firearm. He doesn't see the need for one. Uh, doesn't ever want to own one. Really? Okay. So does, what is it? This is so again so simplistic. So what does it say about the modern man who is a law enforcement officer? Well, that's different because it's for his work. But he doesn't ever need one, right? But no, because some people do. Is he a... No, no, but... What about me? I guess uh, Brian wouldn't consider me to be a, a modern man uh, since I'm a, a gun owner. What about the modern woman? Uh, do they have a... Uh, need for a gun. I, I, You know, anybody who has a list that says, listen, here's how you be a modern man. There's some things you have to have and some things that uh, you shouldn't. Um, don't have a gun. Always have a melon baller. Which is an actual um, actual thing. <laughs> so the modern man does not own a firearm. He owns a melon baller. I was, I, I, as I was reading this list, I honestly I was like, is this serious? Is this kind of ironic? Is this snarky? 
No, I think it's actually serious. The number one, uh, the first thing that uh, this guy says, uh, Brian Lombardi says, that when the modern man buys shoes for her for his spouse, he doesn't have to ask her sister for the size, and he knows which brands run big or small. Really? I, okay, first of all, who buys shoes for their spouse? I've bought shoes for my kids before. I've never bought shoes for my spouse. By the way, my spouse has never bought shoes for me. They're my feet. Who buys shoes without trying on shoes? I I don't even get this. This modern man is weird. The modern man never lets uh, other people know when his confidence is sunk. He acts as if everything is going swimmingly until it is. Okay. I actually don't see much evidence of that among the uh, precious snowflakes, but okay, whatever. Uh, The modern man is considerate. At a movie theater, he won't munch down a mouthful of popcorn during a quiet moment. He waits for some ruckus. Um, okay. Again, I, I, you know what? I don't even go to the movies often enough for that to be like a thing for me. Um, the modern man doesn't cut the fatty or charred bits off his filet. Every bit of steak, every bite of steak is a privilege and it all goes down the hatch. I mean, if you got a big hunk of gristle or fat, no, Brian, cut it off, man. Steak is supposed to be good. All right. You give the scraps to the dogs. That's what a modern man does. Here, dog, have some steak. Because the dog's sitting there looking at you anyway. He's my dog. Uh, The modern man won't blow 10 minutes of his life looking for the best parking spot. He finds a reasonable one and puts his car between the lines. I think this might be the first one that I agree with. Before the modern man heads off to bed, he makes sure his spouse's phone and his kid's electronic devices are charging for the night. No. 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 I'm lucky if I remember to plug in my phone. Uh, The modern man buys only regular colas like Coke or Dr. Pepper. If you walk into his house looking for a Mountain Dew, he'll show you the door. That sounds so extreme. I'm sorry. That was like a Mountain Dew joke because it used to always be extreme. Anyway, does it really? Does a modern man have a soda preference? I would think that the modern man wouldn't really give a rip about what other people are drinking. Whether it's Coke or Dr. Pepper or a cheer wine. Uh, the modern man uses the proper names for things. He'll say helicopter, not chopper, like some ghost simpleton. Yeah. Uh, having a daughter makes the modern man more of a complete person. He learns new stuff every day. Well, absolutely. But having a son makes the modern man more of a complete person as well. I, I, I think that's sort of self-evident. The modern man makes sure the dr- dishes have on the, on the rack have dried completely before putting them away. Or you, I don't even use a rack, by the way. I just use a dish rag, dry them off as we go, put them away. Done. Uh, the modern man has never pinned a tweet, and he never will. Can you pin a tweet? I thought you just retweeted it or you quoted it. Is that a Pinterest thing? Can you pin tweets on, on Pinterest? I don't. Yeah. Am I Okay. Um, I'm going to have to reluctantly agree with that one, too. Uh, the modern man checks the status of his Irish Spring bar before jumping in for a wash. If it's too small, it gets swapped out. Well, this modern man doesn't uh, even use bar soap, so I have nothing to add to that, I suppose. Uh, let's see. Um, the modern man listens to Wu-Tang at least once a week. Substitute Johnny Cash for Wu-Tang. Uh, the modern man still jots down his grocery list on a piece of scratch paper, the market is no place for his face to be buried in the phone. Okay, whatever works, man. The modern man doesn't care, right? The modern man is lucky if he gets everything on his list when he goes to the grocery store. At least this modern man does. The modern man has hardwood flooring. His children can detect his mood from the stamp of his Kenneth Cole Oxfords. What does this even what does this even mean? And and I say this as somebody who has hardwood floors. I don't wear Kenneth Cole Oxfords. Uh, my children do hear me clomp, clomp, clomping up the stairs at night when it's time for bed in my cowboy boots. Um, but what, the, what, the, what the, I don't even. OK, whatever, dude. If, if this is your definition of modern manhood depends on the type of flooring that you have. <laughs> you got a lot of things to learn about being a man. Um 
The modern man lies on the side of the bed closer to the door. If an intruder gets in, he will try to fight him off so that his wife has a chance to get away. But remember, the modern man would never, ever, 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 ever own a gun. So, just, you know, I guess that's the Ben Carson advice. It's weird that the New York Times didn't rip this guy for advising that men sacrifice themselves so that their wife can get away. Uh, Does the modern man have a melon baller? What do you think? How else would the cantaloupe, watermelon, and honeydew he serves be so uniformly shaped? Uh, Do you need your melon to be uniformly shaped? I just kind of cut the watermelon in half and then you scoop it out and I, hmm, all right. Uh, the modern man has thought seriously about buying a shoehorn. Well, again, not this one. Uh, the modern man buys fresh flowers more to surprise his wife than to say he is sorry. Right, it doesn't have to be flowers. Missy doesn't really like flowers. We have flowers all over the place. She, she, if, if I'm going to surprise Miss E with something nice, she wants something that isn't going to wilt and disappear in a week. Um, on occasion, I like this one. On occasion, the modern man is the little spoon. Some nights when he's feeling down or vulnerable, he needs an emotional and physical shield. Like a like a Spartan shield that you sleep with. Like I'm just honey, I'm gonna I'm, I'm just vulnerable. I'm gonna sleep under my shield tonight. I don't I don't even I'm I've never felt I've never thought to myself, I am the little spoon. I've been look, I've been sad. I've I've felt vulnerable at times. I've felt down at times. I've never thought of myself as a little spoon. Uh, the modern man doesn't scold his daughter while she when she sneezes while eating an apple donut, even if the pieces fly everywhere. Why would you scold a kid for sneezing? It's a sneeze. I, I mean, like farting loudly in church, I can understand, but sneezing, it's a sneeze. Uh, the modern man still ambles half naked down his driveway each morning to scoop up a crisp newspaper. What half is naked, I wonder? Uh, and I don't. I amble down my driveway to pick up a, a crisp newspaper. The modern man, says the New York Times, uh, has all of Michael Mann's films on Blu-ray, or whatever the highest quality thing is at the time. I, I don't have all of Michael Mann's films on Blu-ray, but I do have the uh, Evil Dead collection, Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, and Army of Darkness. And I would say the modern man... Um, maybe doesn't have all of Bruce Campbell's films because he's been in a lot as a, you know, a bit player, but they have all of the Bruce Campbell starring roles, uh, including Bubba Hotep. Uh, the modern man doesn't get hung up on his phone's battery percentage. If it needs to run flat, so be it. Uh, again, what is, what is, I'm not sure why this is specific to manhood. I really do men and women deal with the the uh, battery of their phone differently. And sometimes, by the way, you really do need your phone to have a charge. I mean, uh, how? Uh, in fact, it's weird. One of the things that this guy says, Brian Lombardi, says the modern man makes sure that everybody's electronic device is plugged in at night before he goes to bed. And then the modern man doesn't get hung up on his phone's battery percentage. Unless, of course, it's, you know, checking last thing at night, make sure everybody's electronic device is plugged in. Then, of course, the modern man, uh, Brian Lombardi says, has no use for a gun. He doesn't own one and he never will. He'll just sleep closer to the uh, the bedroom door so that if an intruder breaks in, his wife has a chance to run away. The kids are on their own, I guess, at that point, because dad's fending off the intruder with his bare hands. Mom's running away and the kids are upstairs and hopefully they'll be able to get out. Uh, the modern man cries, uh, according to Brian Lombardi. He cries often. Look, I'm not going to say I've never cried. When my mom died, I cried. Um, there have been times where uh, at the birth of every one of my kids, I cried. Um, but I don't cry often. But I'm not afraid to cry. But I don't think that crying often actually makes you a modern man. Uh, and the last bit of uh, modern manhood from uh, Brian Lombardi at the New York Times says people aren't sure if the modern man is a good dancer or not. That is until the DJ plays his jam and he goes out there and puts on a clinic. All right. Well, I guess in that case, I am definitely a throwback because nobody will ever accuse me of putting on a clinic for dancing. They may send me to triage, but uh, no one's going to accuse me of putting on a clinic when it comes to dancing. So the email address, I'm, I'm curious. I want your thoughts. 
for next week, if you don't mind, if you will indulge me, since we've been talking about heavy lifting, grow up, get a job, start a family, and other manly advice, the new book from Jim Garrity and myself. Then you've got that different take from the New York Times, the 27 ways to be a modern man, have your melon baller, have your Michael Mann Blu-rays, don't have a gun, cry a lot. <clears throat> what do you think? Um, how do you define manhood? What are some of the, the character traits of being a man? Uh, not being an extended adolescent, not being a man boy, not being a man child, uh, not being anything other than a man. I'd, I'd be very, very curious to know what traits you think uh, are a part of manhood. You don't have to give me the, the complete picture, but just things that you think are a part of being a man, things that you admired uh, in your father, your grandfather, things that you admire in your sons or your brothers or your husbands. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to know uh, your take on this. And again, the email address is 40acrefool, 40acrefool at gmail.com. And I do want to get to uh, some of your emails here. Uh, Bradley wrote in, says, Cam, I've been enjoying your podcast uh, since about episode three or four. I'll usually miss several weeks in a row, and then I'll play catch-up one day while working on my homestead. Bradley says, I came across your show through the blaze. My wife and I have been uh, longtime listeners of Glenn Beck and our recent Back to the Landers. My wife, three kids, and I have a five-acre property in southwest Indiana that we call Heritage Homestead. Thirty-some laying hens, four Narragansett turkeys, and four dairy goats. Currently, four barn cats, one dog, pet rabbit, and three beehives. Oh, Bradley, good for you. Missy and I were actually talking about that last night. I think we've decided we, we really do want to uh, try to keep bees. Brian says the goal is 50% of our food and $5,000 in gross income in five years, and we are two years into that. Uh, Bradley says, I enjoy your pig stories in particular. They keep the dream alive of raising my own sometime soon. And tell Miss E that I really enjoy her on the show with you. She needs to put together a homesteader's cookbook with some of the family recipes. My mouth waters listening to her talk about the good food she makes. I also enjoy the history lessons. Uh, far from boring, your recent bit on communism and post-war America was great. I didn't know most of that. The parallels today with radical Islam are striking, Bradley says. Uh, Bradley says, I was just listening to your 917 podcast about this being your third year. And you still feel like you have a steep learning curve. And Bradley says, you're not alone. This was our third growing season on our property. And I don't feel any closer to having my system figured out than the first year. There are so many variables. I had an ecology professor, Bradley writes, in grad school, who used to say, ecology isn't rocket science. It's much more complicated than that. Homesteading, he says, is kind of like one big ecology experiment. Before we got started, I imagined that by the third year, I'd be well on my way to a system that could at least partially sustain itself. But, alas, I'm a babe in the woods still. Anyway, chin up, says Brad. I know I have to frequently remind myself to look past the things that didn't go right to see how far I've come. Uh, and God bless, Brad writes. Well, Brad, thank you so much, sir. And, and God bless you and your family for uh, for doing what you're doing. And thank you so much for sending in those kind words. Uh, it's good to know that we're all in this together. Uh, and that, uh, yeah, there is that steep learning curve. You're, yeah, yeah, I, I love that quote by your uh, ecology professor. That uh, this is much more complicated than rocket science. Rocket science, you know, you get the equations right, things work, <laughs> right? When you're when you're growing your own food, you can get the equations right. Uh, I got the right amount of seeds. I've put it in the right depth, and there are so many variables that you cannot control for. Uh, everything from the weather to the bugs to, you know. You getting sick and not being able to weed for a week and you come back and it looks like uh, a jungle has grown up in your garden. Um, Mother Nature will throw many, many curveballs at you. That is absolutely true. And uh, Brad, listen, I wish you the very best of luck. I, I tell you what, you uh, may enjoy the pig stories, but I want to hear more about your Narragansett turkeys because I'm and your bees. Uh, turkeys, we, we don't have any turkeys. We haven't raised any turkeys. I'd kind of I, I like eating turkey, so I'd kind of like to raise some turkeys. But it's the uh, it's the apiary that is really intriguing to me. And so, Bradley, I've got a couple of specific questions, if you don't mind. Like, how often do you get stung by your bees uh, with three hives of bees? How much honey are you actually getting uh, out of that? I mean, clearly more than you could eat, I'm sure, right? So, are you selling the honey? What are you doing with the the beeswax? Are you using that in any sort of 
ancillary farm product like a candles or, or soap uh, as you're trying to get your uh, farm income up there. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about that. So I'd love to hear more from you, Bradley. And thank you so much, sir, for writing in. Uh, also, Rob out in California says, Cam, okay, when I was a kid, our family raised rabbits for food. They're a great source of protein. And cooked properly, they are quite delicious. They uh, do taste like chicken, but with a more substantial texture. They're easy to raise. They do breed very quickly. Uh, tip, keep the stud in his own cage. Put the doe in his cage to breed. And Rob says, now to slaughter, it's it's icky. Yeah, we have bought our... We I like eating rabbit, Rob. As a matter of fact, um, we've got some rabbit that we bought at a farmer's market a couple of weeks ago. I think we were talking about this. Uh, and I want to make rabbit pot pie because I like rabbit pot pie. It's delicious. But I really, truly don't know that I could uh, raise and process rabbits. Uh, Rob says, my dad would draft my services um, when it came time to butcher the rabbits. I'll spare you the details, he says. But I'll tell you how I would go about it. I'd set up a place out of sight of the other rabbits, take each rabbit one at a time, and then dispatch it with a, a twenty-two pistol. Uh, Rob says, I know they're just rabbits, but I believe that all animals should be respected. He says, uh, it may sound funny uh, to people like my father, but it's the only way that, that I would do it. Uh, he would also uh, rob after uh, the rabbit had been uh, dispatched, would, would place the carcass in a closed container a container where the next rabbit couldn't see it. Repeat until the number for butchering is achieved, and don't forget your earplugs, he says. Uh, Rob says, uh, I saw the reaction of the other rabbits as they watched and waited for their turn, uh, and I see no reason to stress them. You know, Rob, I actually kind of agree with you. Um, there, You know, look, I, I, am an, I am a meat eater, and I make no bones about it. I will be a meat eater until the day that I die. I have no interest in being a vegetarian. I don't believe that uh, being a vegetarian is a morally superior way of life. I'm a meat eater. But that doesn't mean that I don't want my food to have a good life or to be treated with respect, even at the end of life. Uh, my, you know, I, I say this all the time. Happy hogs make tasty bacon. And I think that that holds true. But, you know, part of having a happy hog is, I think, having a, an owner who wants that hog to be happy. Uh, right up until uh, it is time for that hog to uh, become food, right? So I think if you have that respect uh, for your animals, if you have that care and concern for your animals, it extends uh, not only through their life, but it extends to their death uh, as well. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you, Rob, I mean, I'm, I certainly don't have a ton of experience with this, but uh, whenever we have had to process any of our chickens uh, moving forward, going on with um our hogs and and you know when uh, one of our goats got sick and I actually had to put our goat down I mean that was that was tough but um, but if you have that respect for the animal uh, you have that appreciation for the animal and that appreciation for your place uh, in the uh, ecological system I, I think that that helps I think that goes a long way and uh, I appreciate you writing in buddy that uh you and I are on the same page on that. Now, one more uh, email that I want to get to before we uh, have to say goodbye for a little bit. Uh, Greg, the llama guy from North Carolina checking in, says, Cam, what do you need at a great state fair? You need llamas, of course. <laughs> of course, Greg. You're right. You cannot have a, a good state fair without Greg, the llama guy. In fact, I would say not only do you need llamas, you need Greg and his llamas like Mushu. Greg also says, I like the uh, fried elephant ears, but the buildings are also a lot of fun. All right, Greg, listen, thank you for uh, writing in, and thanks to everyone else for writing in as well. We do need to get out of here, but uh, another episode of 40 Acres and a Fool will be back next week. I'll do my best to try to have a quieter household, and we'll uh, try to record once again at the kitchen table. We'll try to get uh, Miss E involved. We'll have... Uh, Another history lesson, uh, I am sure. I've, I, and I have been continuing my reading here. Um, it, it's sort of a <laughs> uh, sort of a fascinating triptych of, of books uh, that I've read since uh, the Venona Files. Uh, Michael Walsh has a book out now called The Devil's Pleasure Palace. It came out a couple of weeks ago. It's about critical theory. 
which is sort of a, a Marxist idea, a uh, Marxist academic idea, the Frankfurt School, that has been uh, broadly adopted uh, in the academy, not only in the United States, but uh, around the world, and how, the, how critical theory uh, influences everything from our understanding of history to our politics to political correctness. Uh, and uh, reading Michael's book, The Devil's Pleasure Palace, he mentioned a, uh, a gentleman by the name of William Reich, who was a uh, psychoanalyst, was one of Freud's uh, uh, lieutenants, I guess, uh, learned from Freud. It was actually the uh, the guy who uh, created the term the sexual revolution. And there's a uh, Michael Walsh mentioned a, a book that came out a few years ago about William Reich um, called. Are you ready for this? Adventures in the Orgasmatron. I know it sounds sounds so pervy, doesn't it? Uh, but it's about so William Reich was this guy who created. Not only was he a psychoanalyst, he decided that the the talking cure, quote unquote, lying on the couch talking to your analyst about your problems, um, that he could go beyond that because he had discovered an energy that existed throughout the universe, and it was an energy that could be harnessed and tapped. It was called he called it. Orgone energy. And William Reich uh, made and he invented a, an orgone collection box that people would actually sit in to collect these orgone energy rays. And it would supposedly, you know, heal them from their sickness and it would give them more powerful, well, orgasms. I mean, the energy is called orgone uh, and there's a reason why. Uh, anyway, uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that on next week's uh, program because a fascinating couple of books. And oddly enough, that Adventures in the Orgasmatron led me to to uh, directly to a book on the Spanish Civil War. <laughs> I, I know I have such a weird reading list, uh, but make sure, please, you include heavy lifting on your fall reading list. The book, again, available in a couple of weeks, but it is uh, available for pre-order now at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Heavy lifting, Jim Garrity, Cam Edwards, grow up, get a job, start a family, and other manly advice. Until we talk again here on this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool, be safe, have fun, live a little, learn a lot, and we'll talk to you soon. This is 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network.